Welcome back to another edition of Take the Hill, a podcast designed to connect you with influential individuals exhibiting great leadership in their respective fields. So today we are excited to have a Q&A episode. We haven't had one of those for a while, so welcome back, Angelo. Hello, hello, Patrick. And good morning. Welcome back, Dennis. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Well, it's great to have you both here. I'm excited to kick this off. And today, we're going to turn the tables a little bit, and we're going to have Angelo kind of take the reins of the show for us this morning uh, to kind of lead the Q&A for us. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily exclude him from answering some of the same questions as well. So <laughs> hope you're on your game today, Angelo. We are soon to find out. <laughs> All right, then let's get this rolling. So, you know, I am really excited for this opportunity. We talk all the time kind of off the air, right? And so now we're yeah. going to have this experience of capturing this for everybody to see and hear. And the topic of conversation today is quite relevant to really this entire year of 2020. And as we're winding down 2020 and heading into a new year, you know, I think it's important to reflect a little bit and also, you know, uh, look how we can foster skill sets to do better as we head into a new year. I know for me, I'm really looking forward to just a, a new start, a refresh uh, and a new perspective. So uh, to kick things off, guys, trust is the foundation of making it through any period of uncertainty. And we're certainly living in a lot of uncertainty right now. As a leader, what can you do to develop, sustain, or increase this important characteristic in your team or organization? Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, do you want me to go first, Patrick, or would you like to go first? I mean, mine's pretty, pretty simple, but, uh, you know, trust is a factor or characteristic that, um, I think most leaders, I mean, it, it's built at the very beginning of the relationship. I think it starts then. So just talking about the pandemic and all of a sudden thinking about trust, I think trust has to be there all the time. Um, I think that uh, the problem with many leaders is they don't take the time to build those relationships uh, with many of their subordinate, subordinates or, or followers. And, and it creates an issue because people don't know who they're dealing with. Um, I, I think you have to, in order to build that trust or have that trust, um, people got to know who you are. They got to know what you're about. They got to know what you believe. They got to know your vision. Uh, they got to know other characteristics about you as well before they can make that uh, designation or what, how, whether or not they trust you or not. But in a time like now, uh, I think it's important that, uh, that many leaders are just honest with their people and forthright with uh, information and so forth. I mean, that's one way you build trust right now. I mean, I, I've dealt with some leaders. They're just not, they're not being um, transparent. Uh, during this uh, pandemic. And you know what? I, I'm not so sure I trust them uh, at this point. So transparency is huge. But uh, again, I think it goes back to the beginning. Did you have a relationship with them prior to this pandemic? Did they, did they um, you know, did they, uh, I don't know, get to know you or, you know, allow you to get to know them? So that's kind of a simplistic answer. I'm sure Patrick has a much better one. But, uh, <laughs> Patrick, no, uh, no, no, I think that was actually incorporating some of the variables that I would think as well. Um, honesty, you know, and, and we talk about relationships a lot 
right? In in order to have any relationship, you know, I think it begins with honesty. You know, I, I think the only thing that I would add, um, you know, starting with the idea of, I would really do a thorough assessment of the individuals you're responsible for leading, right? You know, because I think you always have to get an understanding of the culture, a lay of the land uh, on your team or your division or your unit. Uh, and I think once you kind of have a good understanding of, of how much trust is actually in place, then, you know, you could start to think about, okay, how can I then develop it further? How can I think about sustaining it? So for me, I begin with, first of all, active listening, right? So I want to go around and tell me your story. You know, I want to know more about you. I want to know about your role in the team, your relationships with others within, you know, the unit that you actually work with or even beyond um, so that I, and that kind of ties into the idea of presence, right? So in order for you to me to trust me, I need to be present. I need to be here, right? So think about even just within our team here on the podcast, right? So I trusted you to answer first. <laughs> That's a pretty big, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? So you know, we're trusting Angela. We're, you know, we're trusting Angela with the keys to the show today, all right? And again, like I said, that the fact that you know we've listened to each other, we have conversations. You know, we're present when we each need to be here, you know, for whatever the conversation needs to be. That's huge. And then the other thing for me beyond active listening and presence is this clarity of intent. All right. Here's our vision and here's where we are going. All right. And I trust that you in your particular role and the members of my team understand their roles and collectively we know where we are going. All right. So, yes, I'm present to help with you know, hurdles or challenges or where I need to be there but I'm going to empower you to take leadership, all right? Because you're here for a reason. And that is another really big key that is not only gonna strengthen the relationship with those that I'm leading, but in and amongst themselves, which then the byproduct of that relationship is going to be trust. So for me, active listening, presence, and clarity of intent. So hey, Patrick, oh, I'm sorry, Angelo, I just a follow up. Um, so from, from the flip side of that, how do how do how do we advise listeners to recognize those who maybe they shouldn't trust um, some of the characteristics that um, they may display? Ooh, that's a good question, Angela. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, to be honest with you, I always with these kinds of things, I just start with what do you feel as 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 an individual? Like trust your gut sometimes, right? Um, but I also am somebody that loves to ask questions. So if you feel that there's a lack of trust, to me, I think that maybe there's a lack of communication at first, right? And so I would seek answers and ask questions and pending the response or lack thereof, or like Patrick, you saying the presence of the individual being there, you know, I don't want to just jump straight into not trusting somebody. I give the benefit of the doubt right, right up, right out of the gate. I want to, I want that synergy. I want that collaboration. And it's going to take somebody to actively try to destroy that for me, at least personally, as I say, ask the questions and, and, and trust yourself. I mean, if you have a bad feeling about it then then seek out somebody else. Yeah. And that's actually a really, really big learning moment for me in my career, because I think as you said, if you're not asking the questions, then you're falling into kind of the stereotypes that may already presently exist. Right. There's been you know, several times and, and I got burnt on it because you know, I, I'd seen something happen and my instant reaction was, well, that's just that person being that person. All right? And when in reality, there was another set of variables that caused that event to occur and it wasn't that person. Right? You know, they may have been involved, but it's not because I thought 
right? They were just being who they were being. So yeah, I think Angela is right on there because I think if you start to ask some of those questions, right, even indirectly, right, the mere response of what you're going to hear or see in terms of their actions, right, both verbally, non-verbally, or in their role, you're going to start to get a sense of, you know, are they genuinely committed to the vision, right? You know, are they working with you? Are they establishing trust? You know, are they a team player? Or are there some things that, you know, are starting to percolate or show up or become illuminated that, again, might be on the other side of the of, of the offense, so to speak. Yeah, cool. You know, I was thinking about it while, while you were talking, and I think one of the key uh, things for me is inclusion. How much, how, do, how much am I included in the process with the leader? You know, uh, are they, again, being transparent with me? Do they include me in things? Uh, if you notice, uh, or my experience, I've had leaders who push you away. They don't want you to be involved. They don't want you to know too much. And to me, that kind of, I mean, there are certain things that leaders can't share with individuals, but um, when there's this uh, this huge amount of autonomy, you know, to where uh, I can't be included and there's these expectations for me to do my job and I don't have everything I need, eh, I begin to, you know, sway on that, on that trust thing. So again, yeah, this is good stuff, man. I got to get me a dictionary. You guys uh, use all these big words. Yeah. So, so how do you? <laughs> so how do you re rebuild trust if it's been broken? Oh wow! Isn't there kind of like that saying like uh, it takes you can do ten good things and uh, and everybody kind of buys into it like real quick, but as soon as you do that one bad thing, man, you're tagged. Uh, I, I think first of all, and you know, I taught this in one of my classes. One of the hardest things for leaders to do is just to say I'm sorry and admit they're mm -hmm. wrong. I think that would be the first step is just to say, hey, I was wrong, I'm sorry. And then let's start over, you know, and uh, encourage the individuals that you're, uh, that you're genuine about it. Um, so I think that's, I don't know, man, I can't, I have a hard time saying I'm sorry to my wife. Uh, you know, it's just one of those words that um, are two words that it's tough to say, I'm sorry. I've actually come to find when I see somebody who I look up to or a mentor or a leader, when I see them kind of make a mistake, to me, it almost, I gain a little respect for them. You know, it, there's something about seeing somebody being a little mortal, you know, like a little, um, you know, they can be, they're not untouchable, right? It, it almost just shows you that, you know, you're always going to have to work hard no matter what level you are in your career or whatever stage you are uh, as a leader. Like it's a nonstop educational process. And so to me, I think, true leaders, they make mistakes. They have to make mistakes because they're learning from those mistakes. We're all going to make them. You know, I think Lee Cockrell, when we talked to him recently, kind of touched on that, that like, you know, learning from your mistakes is the, one of the biggest keys of leadership. And I would have to obviously agree with the man. Yeah. And I think it's one thing it's, it's not like you said, you're always looking to fail, but you know, if you're, if you're not failing and you're not making mistakes, then I think you're probably inside your comfort zone a little bit too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Not willing to take any risk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To kind of build off of this trust thing, though, you guys had mentioned uh, earlier in this conversation about getting to know the people that you're leading, right? I always kind of find a struggle in the reverse of that, in how much of yourself do you show to the people that you lead? 
uh, there's this saying, and I don't remember it verbatim. I was going to look it up while we were doing this, but I'm being lazy on a Friday. It, it basically surrounds the, the thought of the world being a little bit more interesting the more that you kind of leave out certain details of yourself. Now, that's not necessarily correlating or talking about leadership. I do think leaders need to find a balance between how much of your own personality you show somebody versus what you don't. How do you balance that and, and, and give pieces of yourself to a team without crossing a line where then that trust would be breached? I'm a bad one to ask this question. <laughs> yeah, and this is actually a really good question. It comes up with, with students all the time. And I think even beyond students, even professionals, right? So it's like, you know, especially because we're so connected by Instagram and LinkedIn and probably a, a thousand other platforms that I don't even know about, right? <laughs> so yeah, how much do you really share? Because again, I think we're all humans and, we're all, and organizations and teams are a collection of human beings, right? So, I mean, you want to you wanna connect on some level beyond your specific role. And I think that's actually a really good question, Angela, because I find myself to be, believe it or not, a little bit of an introvert right? Probably a big introvert, believe it or not. So it's one thing for me, you know, in front of a classroom, you know, if I, I have a funny story or something funny that my kids may have done or my wife yelling at me for something crazy, like I'll kind of weave those in because again, it's those lighter moments that kind of move me from this quote, you know, professor or sage on the stage or whatever you want to you look at me as to, oh, wait a second, you know, he, he is a human being, right? So, you know, I, I think you have to get comfortable with you as an individual and decide, okay, what areas of your life are you going to kind of maybe keep private for yourself? And what areas are you willing to share to make those connections with your colleagues or individuals that you work with? Uh, so it, it might be a little bit different for each of us, but um, I, I think there is definitive research that says, again, you know, you know, sharing those human characteristics or hobbies or interests does bring teams together, right? Because again, you know, I don't want to hire somebody who is solely going to commit themselves to 100 hours a week and work overtime and, you know, kill themselves for our specific goal team or company, because you're going to burn yourself out in a year or two, all right? I want somebody that has a little bit of a balance, you know, gets away, disconnects, pursues those hobbies. And they, and I think society is connected by the multiple hats that we wear because we are part of different groups and different teams and different hobbies. So, you know, it, I think it just comes down to what you're comfortable sharing. Did that answer your question or did I just completely sidestep it? And <laughs> You know, I have a feeling that some of these questions today, there, there's no real true answer to it, you know? Uh, yeah. So responded to the question and I am happy with the response you know, because I think it comes down to a comfort yeah. level too, right? Like I've certainly experienced uh, different professors as a student and different leaders and mentors who, you know, I feel like I really knew nothing about them at all, but I knew what they stood for in terms of what they were there for. And you know what? That's okay sometimes too, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's, it's variable to the comfort level of that individual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and good. That's, no, yeah, no, good. go ahead, Patrick. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, for me, for example, you know, I think people need to know my core values, right? Integrity, purpose, perseverance, like, I mean, those things are key and they know what they are, right? Uh, beyond that, you know, they, they know a little bit about my kids or my hobbies and my passions. So for me, you know, that's, I think that's good enough, right? So, Dennis. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, as you all know that I'm very shy and, um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm probably an extrovert all the way. And, uh, <laughs> 
I guess I have to be careful. Um, and I, why I said it was hard for me to answer this question because I sometimes step over that line, you know, but if I was to answer this question, I, I guess you got to share enough that people know who you are and that they can make a true, um, genuine evaluation of who you are versus maybe, I, I mean, I don't think we should be sharing our deepest, darkest secrets in the, that are in the closet, you know, and, and uh, so I, I think we got to draw the line, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And we always got to kind of keep in mind, okay, is this appropriate? And again, it, it, and Patrick brought up a great point. It, it, the, it, the scenario changes too. I've been in positions where people needed to know more about me only because they were trusting me with emotional things and trusting me with so many other different things versus uh, a position where I'm just strictly you know, providing direction or orders to do menial tasks. They don't need to know as much about me. They just need to know I'm a nice guy and, uh, you know, and so forth, or that I know what I'm doing or, but there are certain situations where people need to know a little bit more about you. So again, it's, it's adjusting to, and leaders need to be adjusting all the time. So it depends on what position you're talking about, depends on what situation you're in. Uh, it depends on how much trust you got to build uh, on how much you share. So I think each situation is different, but you just got to be careful. Like sometimes my students, they may find out a little more about me than they should. And I have to draw back and say, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe I just shared a little bit too much about me. Um, you know, and again, the reason I say that is, and I know that our listeners never heard uh, my background. I have quite a colorful background and, and my life did quite a big change. And sometimes I use that testimony of uh, where I was, where I am now to help students who are, uh, let's say, on that line and don't know what to do with themselves and they want to quit college or I can't do this. I use my kind of testimony to help them out. So, and then sometimes I think, oh boy, should I have said that? If some of my uh, supervisors ever found some of this stuff out, they may cringe or, or whatever. And now I'm telling you on, uh, you know, the internet, but, but again, I didn't share the details, but again, I just think it, it's, we just, it's the situations vary. And again, I also, you know, I appreciate you giving just some of that insight. And I like the, the, the use of like the testimony that you said almost like sometimes you have to pull a card out of the back pocket to, to relate to somebody. I know I've certainly done that as well. I've had some low points in my young professional life um, that, you know, sometimes it, there's this toxic positivity that's starting to circulate. I don't know if you guys are hearing that. And I'm like worried about it because I probably am like one of those guys that's toxically positive. You know, I, I try to find a spin to just be optimistic about it. Um, but I think sometimes people can relate when you're sharing information that is kind of at the same level as theirs. Like if somebody is down and hurting to try to be overly positive can maybe not be the best approach and to maybe give a testimonial approach. Like you were saying, Dennis, I think could have a, a large impact. Um, I want to dive deeper into some of these topics um, and, and actually make them a little bit, a little bit even more relevant to the, the time frame of which we're living, right? So we've been talking about trust and how to build it. And that seems like a pretty difficult and fluid uh, endeavor, no matter when you're doing it. Um, however, there's different variables uh, involved in 2020 with a global pandemic, um, with people not necessarily being right next to each other and doing things from a distance, which I think can immediately create inconsistency with trust 
um, and transparency and communication. Uh, so is there a difference? I feel like, you know, I'm asking a yes or no, and I think I know the answer, so we'll expand further. But is there a difference between crisis leadership versus leadership in more stable periods of time? Well, you mind, I, I, mind if I go first, Patrick? You trust me? Um, <laughs> I trust you, sir. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, I, I thought, as I think about this, and it's actually a tougher question than you think. It's not really a yes or no question. Um, I think that all leaders should be prepared at all times to react in a crisis moment because um, every crisis is different. Now, now, we define crisis as the pandemic right now, but what about when we're, we're in normal times? A crisis could be something very simple. Um, you could have a toxic employee who's creating a negative uh, impact on the culture. Uh, the leaders got to really think about, hmm, I got to get into crisis mode and take care of this. So I don't think, in some ways, I think there's a huge difference. In some ways, I don't think there's any, there should be any difference. A leader should be prepared at all times to react to any crisis, no matter how small or how large. And it should be a part of their makeup, part of their characteristic of, of, of a leader. So I don't know if I answered your question, but, but I just think that there, there's very little difference between crisis and stable times that all leaders should be prepared no matter what. Would it, do you think that sustaining that approach, right? Like if you are going to say, look, we're in a period of crisis right now, whether it is, you know, I know, yes, referring to the pandemic, there's other crises going on around uh, the world and in individual lives. And I actually think that sometimes we have to, or we forget that, right? There's other things happening still that we have to focus on. Um, but would you, would you say then that creating that sustainability of your approach to being a leader and providing that kind of trust could that help almost ease stress and tension during periods of instability? Because the only stability then could be your source of leadership. Yeah. And I can only speak from my own experience. I had an individual once who worked for me and, and it was in a, it was in a position that there was crisis constantly again, small and large. And this individual comes to me and they said, you never panic. And I said, well, it's not going to help anything. I have, I, and I've never, I haven't always been that way. I had to, um, again, um, discipline myself to become that way. And I had to realize, look, I got to be prepared no matter what happens. And if I panic, I'm not helping anybody that any of the people that work for me or the people that are following me, I'm not helping them. So I need to remain calm and work through any crisis that I face. So yeah, I think it did take away the stress because I was always just ready to handle it. And, and I didn't panic and they were just like, I maybe every once in a while in, in my gut, I just didn't show it in my gut. People would say, or in my gut, I'd be like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Oh no. You know, I'm just going to get in my car and drive until I can't run out of gas and just, you know, hide somewhere. But, but again, it, it didn't, it didn't solve the issue. And see, I've been one of those leaders that believe that every leader should be able to adapt. And, and you got to learn to discipline yourself to adapt to any situation. 
And leaders that cannot adapt, again, they're pigeonholed. And let's face it, no matter what kind of leadership position you're going to have, things, th things are always going to be changing. That's the inevitable. I tell my students, what's, the what's inevitable change? And you've got to deal with it. And so I think that we need to, uh, leaders need to be adaptable. And I, I really do think that the stress level is lower once leaders learn that. So I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. Um, you know, I definitely think that there's a, there's a distinct difference in terms of, as, as you talked about, the leadership in terms of what you do during periods of you know, crisis, right? And I think right now, you know, we may define crisis as economic, pandemic, emotional well-being, health and wellness, um, anxiety, stress. And there's a lot that comes in and we can kind of categorize crisis, right? So my thing is the active leadership really is going to be tailored to you know, what you're dealing with, 100% agree. But what I think we need to back up to is the process in which we respond. Because if you look at individuals or organizations that respond effectively to crisis, there's two things happening. One, and I like this quote, which is, wind your watch, because you always have more time than you realize to respond. All right, that's the first thing. Because most people, when you get into crisis situations, it doesn't matter, in a bar, in life, whatever it is, people want to do what? They want to respond immediately. All right? And usually, if you respond immediately, it's, sometimes it might be right if you're trained. Oftentimes, it might be wrong. Right? So give yourself the time to authentically and effectively assess the situation and figure out what you need to do, right? And that one came from, you know, folks in aviation and, and the special operations fields. You know, you know, a couple of folks have always said, you know, wind your watch, Patrick, right? You always have more time to respond. And the second one that I try to remind the organizations and teams that I work with is the one variable that often is changing in crisis is that of time, right? Things are accelerated, right? So. You don't have to rush a response, but you need to realize that your time is often going to be compressed. All right. And during that compressed period of time, that is when you need to rely upon either your training or your decision making process. So one of the things I was saying was, as we think about time, all right, the big difference between a crisis and maybe ordinary times is that variable time gets compressed. All right. And what becomes incredibly important either as individuals or as teams or organizations is that you need to fall back upon some defined process by which you make decisions, right? Because where organizations and teams and individuals go sideways is when they throw out that process by where they make decisions and they just start doing things as they see fit. Oh, I got to respond to this immediately right now, or I got to go jump over here or jump over here. But if you stick to that process, I evaluate, I mean, you can go back, you know, you've heard of like OODA loop, or there's all kinds of decision making mechanisms. But if you stick to your process, and just speed up a little bit, then the chances of you making the right decision are going to be certainly increased. Right? That's where I think people go wrong in terms of leading during crisis. So in terms of the difference, I think all the leadership variables and characteristics are there that you need to manage. But if you slow things down, and you stick to the way that you know how to make decisions. And I think that's the big difference between the two, all right? So 
Did that help? That was a good answer. Has anything changed in your guys' approach? I forgot to unmute myself. Uh, you know, the world-renowned podcast over here. Uh, have you guys personally changed your approach then at all during just – I know that there's other crises than just the pandemic, but I think there's layers to it. Have you guys changed your approach at all as leaders in, in your respective fields and at all? Have you changed it at all to, to kind of uh, mold to what others are experiencing this year? So the – the process doesn't change, right? The prioritization of what I need to address does, right? So because right now, as you talked about earlier, the human connection is missing. The emotional connection is missing, right? So I need to find ways to get people to connect, right? That's my first priority. Whereas in more ordinary times, if we were together as we normally were, right, I may focus more on operations or procedures. And then I'd weave in the emotional piece. So again, going back to kind of what I was describing earlier, right? The process has to stay the same, right? It's just that I need to prioritize different variables because right now in the pandemic, the human connection, the stress, the anxiety, and the wellness and the well-being, like those are all the, the real challenges, right? People are fine with the work. Right? We could do what we need to do in a virtual environment, right? It's the other stuff that's becoming really important right now that's what needs to be done. So if I've changed anything, I've, I've kind of had to figure out new ways to connect with people, right? Because I think we're all in a way zoomed out. We're all kind of getting tired of, of being kind of maybe cooped up in our homes too much, <laughs> right? So that's, what, that's how I have changed at least. We, we talked um, about transparency throughout this, you know, leadership and trust process. And I think that, you know, again, finding that balance of just not only sharing more personal things, but then there's the other element of being transparent about work-related things, right? And uh, especially, again, I don't want to just keep harping on, you know, this global pandemic. I, I know people are definitely worn out from that, but we're still in it. And I think that for me, um, as somebody who um, leans hard into the people that lead me, right? And I am somebody that needs information and a, kind of like a why um, to, to really get the most out of me. I'm a motiv motivated individual, especially when I know what the end game is, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's this fatigue right now in some leaders, at least that I'm experiencing, where at the beginning of this pandemic, they were wide open about what was going on and what was going to happen. And as we've moved through this process, it just seems like there's less communication. It seems like there's less clarity. It seems like everybody's just getting worn out and that there's mm -hmm. starting to be these these you know, unraveling phrase that are happening. So it almost seems like we're, we're normalizing kind of the environment that we're in right now. And it still doesn't feel normal to me. So talking as if everything is normal and acting as if your team doesn't notice some of these changes, whether it's due to the pandemic or maybe there's been a change in personnel or maybe even a location change could really rattle some people, right? They like the comfort. They like uh, the consistency change while inevitable isn't always embraced. So you know, how, how do you bring these, uh, how do you not act like things are normal when they're really not normal um, to, to help prevent the deterioration of trust and to stop from alienating potentially members of your team? Can I go with this one? I, I want to kind of touch on what Patrick uh, answered. You know, and I agree, the process can't change. And, but I do believe that we need to be creative, as Patrick said. But but I want to add one more thing, and I think it kind of ties into your second question, <clears throat> Angelo. First of all, if I'm the leader, 
I got to make sure I'm healthy. I got to make sure that I'm uh, okay with everything that's going on. And it's my job to adjust to the situation um, because, hey, I'm home all the time. I'm sitting in this office. I'm used to going to the office. I'm used to going out to lunch with Patrick and us discussing things and doing, hey, things change. Now, I could let it get me down and I could become depressed and all that, just uh, like many of the people are. But I can't allow that. As the leader, I got to stay healthy and I got to be the example. So I guess the, the key is that I got to change my attitude toward this whole thing and look at look at what what are every situation many times we'll look at the bad part of it when we should be saying okay what can I learn from this what can I do different that is going to be positive and the outcome is going to be um, actually better than if we were in a stable or norm the the old norm What, what, what can I do better how can I make this work for me and when I figure that out, which there is, I mean, come on, let's, let's think about history. Human beings have adjusted to so many different things. Uh, I, again, I'm ice ages and, you know, all that stuff. And I mean, we've adjusted to wars and, and, and everything and depressions. And we always come out better in, hopefully we always come out better in, in the end. And we, we survive. So I think the, the, how we survive is that we're willing to adjust and change and adapt in a positive manner and not grasp onto the negative part of it. So to answer your question, now I have to pass that on to followers. Now I got to figure that out. How do I pass my attitude, my positive outlook onto others and, and create an environment? You know, we always talk about culture. So you want to create a culture, even a virtual culture can be a positive culture. We got to create a culture that helps individuals to embrace new ways or to find ways for them to have a release to take care of those things that neg negatively impact their life. So I hope I didn't get too philosophical, but, um, you know, that's me. Uh I am a conceptual thinker, so I'm following you. But I, I will ask you then directly, I mean, how would you I, – I vibe with you on, you know, the positive approach to things, right? But, you know, there are obviously times where you have to share this bad news to your team at, to, it, it, for a myriad of reasons. I think sometimes just sharing that news brings people together, even if it's not good news to share. How do you deal with the prover proverbial elephant in the room and address things like that? But see, I think you answered that, Angelo, in one of your earlier responses that uh, you just got to let them know. You got to be upfront and you got to share the bad news. But then you got you to put your spin on it to say, look, it might be bad. But, you know, like with my students, when I let many of them, oh, I can't learn online. I want to be face to face. And I said, yeah, you know, I understand that. But wait, let's make the best of this. Now, here's the difference. I have a lot more time on my hands. You want to meet Zoom? We can talk. We can have a conversation. We can, I can help you with, I, we can have a one-on-one -on -one much easier. I mean, I, I just approach it from a different uh, aspect. And then you got to learn to use your technology to um, 
to, to its fullest. So like I use Zoom to teach my courses. I use breakout rooms. I'm still able to do simulations. Some would say, how do you do a simulation? Hey, it's not easy. The other day, I have a negotiations class I teach and I have three groups. And I'm like, how am I gonna do this virtually? So I said, I got three computers going at one time and I have three negotiations going on at one time. I'm sitting here and they love it. They're saying, because they'll see me talking to somebody and I'll be making talking and I forgot to mute somebody. You gotta make it, you gotta make it a light of it. You got to make it, again, that human factor, you gotta make it real. And we, we still have a good time. They still, I mean, they're still, they're still say, well, I wish we could be face to face. And I say, yeah, I understand that, but let's make the best of what, with what we have, you know, but it's on us. It's on the leader. We have to be, it starts with us. We have to be the one to bring the positive uh, culture. We're the one to have to influence others to embrace it and, and do it. Yeah, no, I think I agree with both of what, you know, the ideas that you guys have expressed. Um, you know, the reality is we just need to have the courageous conversations that confront reality. That's what it is, right? And I think, and maybe I'm a little bit more tough on this part, but for me, for le those in leadership roles that aren't doing that, to me, it's just a leadership failure, right? And, and again, like you said, that you're in a leadership role, whether it's formal or informal, right? Because of your ability to have those courageous conversations. And I think, and I'll readily admit, one of the things that I'm struggling with right now the most is, you know, I'm looking around, not just our own organizations, but organizations that I'm working with. And I'm seeing folks who are in these middle to upper level management positions. And Angelo, as you said, they just kind of stopped communicating or they're, or they're getting into a position where, well, I'm just tired or I, I just don't feel like it today. And, and I'm really struggling with this because that's your job, right? You, you are looked on as a leader, right? In that sphere, you need to step up, pull yourself off the ground, get your stuff together, you know, pull together your support network, do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself so that you can re-engage, right? And, 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 I, and like I said, that's one thing that I'm struggling with right now because I'm starting to see this happen across a range of industries where, and, and I know it's tough, right? And, and we're looking at maybe another three to four months before we can really start to emerge from this pandemic. But now's the time that you need to dig in and make things happen, especially if you're in a leadership role, instead of, you know, again, and I hate to use the word, but it's like this pity party that's starting to happen, <laughs> right? Dig in, right? Seriously, do what you need to do to take care of yourself and, and re-engage. Um, and, and like I said, that's, I, I just don't know how to get people to, to realize this because you have people counting on you, whether you realize it or not. Do you think it, I mean, I, I hate this word complacency. Um, leaders become so complacent in when they're, when they're in the normal. Uh, and then when this crisis does happen, they can't overcome that complacency. Um, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's part of it, right? I, I think it's, you know, I think what it is, it's, it's the longevity, right? Um, you know, and people get it from different places throughout their lives in terms of the ability to overcome adversity for a longer period of time. I'm just thinking as a, as a society, because we haven't been, I mean, if you think about the United States as a, as a whole, you know, we're a very 
very stable environment, politically, economically, uh, across the board, right? Yeah, we have our ups and downs, but it's not like we're in a, in a country where we re elect a new leader by a coup every year, right? Or, you, you know, so historically, you know, not having the instability present for as long as it has, maybe that's where the complacency comes in. But, you know, I, again, I come back to this, this notion of you got to pull yourself together, right? You, you have to figure out how it is you could persevere because people are counting on you to do so. I agree. So, you know, we're talking about this transparency element and addressing the elephant in the room, right? But <laughs> at some point, right, there's this fatigue. As we're talking about with leaders, I'm seeing fatigue where this, there's this lack of communication. People are tired. People are, are tired of communicating the same thing over and over again. Um, but dwelling on the bad news, right? So addressing it is a good thing. But dwelling on it too long can absolutely just take a toll on the leader themselves. And Dennis, as you said, you got to be healthy. Like if you yourself as the leader aren't in prime shape, it's going to be difficult for you to have the expectation of your people and, you know, for you to even function as that leader. So dwelling on bad news and taking in too much negative news can drain the team's energy. This effect is amplified during a period of uncertainty. What can you do to help shift this vision beyond challenges and towards a more hopeful vision, which, I mean, presidents have run on hope, right? And successfully, and I think that hope is something that a lot of people right now, how do you provide that vision beyond the bad news and, and towards more hope? Well, first of all, we got to recognize that this isn't permanent. At least we hope it isn't. And I think that's one of the first messages you got to convey to individuals that this isn't, this is uh, temporary. Uh, we hope, but um, I guess you, you, you have to send a message that, uh, you know, we, we can, we can overcome this just by adjusting. And I guess if you have to, you develop a new vision, um, you develop a new path and, you know, people always get excited when you provide them vision with hope. And I think, Angelo, you hit that keyword, hope. And I think that that would be a key thing that I would do if I thought, wow, this is going to go another year, two years. Wow, we got to readjust our vision. Maybe we got to uh, reestablish who we are. Maybe we've got to uh, come together. And, and then I think that's one of the key things, too, bringing people together to where you can come up with ideas of how to uh, approach uh, different ways of doing things and so forth. So again, I think it's, you know, I know that we've got tired of, maybe we got tired of hearing this, but we're all in this together and it's true. So I think the developing a new pathway, maybe a new vision, uh, that would, uh, create hope, uh, people buy into hope. Again, you were so right. Look at the politics. I mean, politicians just have to come out and sell hope and they get elected. It uh, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it. Now, that's the next thing. We got to be genuine about that vision. We got to drive it home. We've got to show uh, individuals who are following us that we're going to follow through with that new vision. But we're not just speaking in a way that's, uh, oh, wow, I just want to make them feel better. We got to be real. It's got to be real. Um, and it's got to be genuine. 
Yeah, this reminds me, you know, you go back to the book, I think, that was written by Jim Collins, which was good to great. And in that, in there, he talks about this idea of the Stockdale paradox. You know, I'm not going to go too far into the history, but it's, you know, Admiral Stockdale and the Hanoi Hilton. You know, they, that group spent a lot of time locked up together in some crazy conditions. And one of the things that emerged from that, and I think they've researched kind of the culture and, and the human side of that, is that they had that belief, that hope, and that faith that they were going to get out. But it was balanced with pragmatism. So they had to deal with the reality of what they were facing each day, right? But they never lost hope, right? And I think that's what it is, right? So you set the expectations as you talked about, hey, this is where we're at right now, and these are the things that we need to do to keep moving forward. But guess what? We're gonna make it because again, hope, faith, here's the vision of what we're ultimately going to be experiencing in six months or whenever that comes along. But in order to get there, here's our real challenges. As we seek out these answers, guys, right? We're trying to find answers yeah. to how to build a team, how to lead a team, and how to do it in the craziest of times, right? And again, Dennis, I think that, you know, a ways back in this conversation, you really pointed it out, you know, I personally am a lot of times here talking about like the pandemic. And I know that there's more, you know, to it than just that. Um, but, you know, basically, I just, I think that the answers that we're seeking to be the best leaders in times of uncertainty when people are fatigued and worn out, the answers can sometimes lie within your own team because your team is your culture. Your team is the machine, right? If there's a broken piece in the machine, usually the answer for mechanics going into the car, the answer, the answer to the broken car is inside the car, right? Yeah. So how did, you can't just ask, questions without you know integrity and foresight and and intention so we're talking about leading in times of uncertainty and trying to find the answers how do you ask the right questions to your team to be able to push the envelope forward i ask angelo to schedule a podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah well first of all first of all you have to be willing to ask the hard questions um there's a tendency for leaders to avoid the hard questions. And I guess to come up with the right question, I don't know if you really, I really can answer that. I guess it's just asking the question and finding out whether it's the right question. Um, that's pretty much trial and error. Um, I've asked questions before and people look at me with a stare like, does he know what the hell he's talking about? <laughs> well, I don't know if we should swear on here, but uh yeah, I mean, some, it, it's not, there's no, there's no, uh, I, I guess I, I would say there's no recipe for coming up with the right uh, question, but don't be afraid to ask questions. I think you said that earlier, Angelo, in, in the podcast, yeah. we have to ask the questions, but we also have to ask the hard questions and we got to ask the questions that people don't like. And even if they don't like them, we need an answer. So I think the key to asking a question is also expecting an answer. Um, you know, you've got to encourage individuals, hey, I need an answer to this question. I've asked people questions before when I was in leadership positions, they didn't want to answer like, oh, no, I don't want to answer that. Well, I need the answer. I can't fix it if I don't know, you know, the, the problem. And 
So I'll never forget. I had, and I don't want to draw this out too long, but I had two secretaries that worked for me. Well, I'm sorry, they were administrative assistants. And one did a certain thing for me and the other one did another thing for me. And they were always, they, they just were always bickering and fighting and so forth. So I brought them both in my office. I sat them down and I said, look, we're not leaving here till we resolve this issue. And, you, and I find out why you two fight constantly. And they just sat there. We don't want to answer that question. And I'm like, no, you're going to answer that question. You're not leaving until you answer. And then I found out one was jealous of the other because one spent more time with me working on projects than the other one. And she felt the other one was more important to me. And it was that I've been kind of feeling that way myself, um, which is why I'm leading the Q&A this time between you and Patrick. I'm getting a little jealous here. So I asked to be able to like get a little bit more in here with you, Dennis. I can, I can relate. So, I mean, so it's, yeah, go ahead, Patrick. No, I, I like your point. I wonder if you could expand upon it a little bit more. That idea of maybe it's about asking the right questions, perhaps, but are we more fearful of the answers that are going to be oh, verbalized? Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, I, I think you're right, because um, I could have took that very situation and said, well, I don't want to know why they hate each other and fight each other. And, but it was causing so much distraction within the office. It was causing so many problems, and, and it was actually delaying work and, and hurting their performance. And so I had to find, I didn't want to get in the middle of something I thought could have been personal. Maybe one stole the other one's candy bar or... Uh, you know, or boyfriend or something. I don't know. But I mean, I had to ask that question. I didn't necessarily want to know the answer, but I had to ask the question. So yeah, yeah I think you're right, Patrick. Do we really want to know, whether we want to know the answer or not, if we as leaders feel that there could be resolved because of the answer, we got to ask it. And it is intriguing yeah. to, to pose it that way, Patrick. I, I actually want to even expand on that element slightly further. You know, asking the question, maybe leader, leaders are a little bit more worried about what the answer is going to be, but then I would take it one step further with a response for a leader, I think comes action. And maybe there is a fear of finding action. Again, we're talking about leading in times of uncertainty. So this is already, you know, difficult. These are already uncertain times. And now, you know, we're asking difficult questions, which inherently will probably give you a, you know, a pretty difficult answer. And you can't end it there as a leader. You can't just get your answer and be like, okay, cool. Thanks for going down that rabbit hole with me. We're done. No, you have to finish it then too. I wonder, Patrick, is there fear that, that extends that far as well? Yeah, I think so. And, it, and going back to your earlier point, I mean, almost to, to tie this to, to each of our lives, you know, if we think about something that we're afraid to do, right? Skydiving, right? Getting a shot. I hate shots, right? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Um, going to the dentist, uh, having a conversation with somebody that you know you have to have a conversation with. Maybe, I mean, we, I think we all typically know what needs to be done or said or the questions that need to be asked. But it's, it seems like in that process, when it becomes real, it becomes now I'm, I'm in it, right? And, and I never wanted to be in it, right? So I think... I think going back to that idea of, of having to initiate that action, which you know you don't really want to do, is, is, the, is the larger challenge there, right? Um, I don't know. Uh, Dennis, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think your example, uh, like 
is perfect when you start talking about going to a doctor. I don't want to get the doctor's news because normally it's not good. Um, but I got to get rid of this pain. And I know I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be I need surgery. Because I remember when I had the gallbladder issue, I didn't want to go to the hospital. I know what they're going to do. They're going to take it out. Oh, no. And I was fearful of the answer, even though I knew it. But I had to go and finally address this situation or I would have got sicker or I would have got sicker. And I think it's no different when you're talking about a situation in a crisis or, or an organization. If you don't take the time to get the answer so that you can react, it's just going to get sicker and sicker and sicker. And, it, and again, the sicker it gets, the harder it is to get it healthy. So, I, I mean, I don't know if that's a great analogy, but, but I think that we, yeah, I think that, man, I tell you, I, I start, now that we're talking about this, I start remembering all these times I've had to ask questions that I didn't want the answer to. And, you know, like right now I'm dealing with something uh, that I, I want to ask somebody a question, but I don't want the answer. It's in a personal situation. And I'm thinking to myself as we're talking here, hey, I still got to ask the question. Um, it has nothing to do with you two, just in case you're general. <laughs> Um, well, good. <laughs> but no, I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, we talk at, about a lot of these things at the simplistic level, but, you know, you can elevate them to, uh, to these huge corporations and how CEOs have to react to some of these things. I don't want, hey, are we doing bad in sales? I don't want to ask that question. I'll just pretend we're, we're doing well. Uh, <laughs> Patrick, again, he brought up a great point. It's, we got to be realist about this. We got to be practical about it. We got to, we got to, we got to face it. So I think uh, my, my advice to leaders is don't run from it, face it, face it head on. And you'll find out that it's like that bandaid. As soon as you pull it off, it hurts for a second, but then, Hey, you're okay. Yeah. And you have to create the environment too, right? Yeah. Cause we, as you said, we talk about culture and relationships. So Angelo, you know, to get back to your point, like, I, I want to create an environment where, yeah, that may be a really hard conversation to have, but I want you to feel comfortable enough to be able to come to me and say, okay, <laughs> this is what I'm dealing with, right? And it's not going to be pretty, right? And we, we, we may take a few hits, we may get sidetracked, we may have a really rough road ahead, but we need to address it. And I think that's half the battle in most of the cases. Did we come, did we just come full circle? And back to that word trust again, that uh, if, if you're dealing with that and you have to ask somebody a hard question, doesn't trust play into that? If, if somebody trusts you, they know that you have their, 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 you know, their, their best at hand. I mean, you're, you're, you're asking the question to help them. Most likely they're going to believe that. Um, so we come back to that trust again. So this all went full circle back to that word trust. Um, Feel like I need to cue the Lion King theme song here, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> Circle of Life or something, right? <laughs> I can do uh, what's his name, James Earl Jones's voice. <laughs> yeah, you have a low enough voice, you can probably get it there. You really do. So, you know, here's what I'm seeing, guys. You know, in terms of asking the, the questions, it, to me, from our conversation, it doesn't necessarily sound like Le leaders need to ask the questions. That's what I'm getting. They have to ask the hard questions, right? Mm -hmm. Then there will be an answer that is acquired from that question. And after that answer, 
needs to be action, right? So with that action though, comes bias, right? You're a leader. You have your own goals and your own metrics and your own things that you need to accomplish. You've got more than one person on your team. And at the end of the day, you're a human, right? So you have bias. How can you eliminate that bias from your action? Because one would assume that that could be a recipe for disaster, uh, being a leader in a team. All right. I don't know about bringing you in anymore, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a great question. That's a tough question. Yeah. Um, first, we have to recognize, and I think this is key, we have to recognize that we have biases. Um, I, I would say there's a lot of people out there that arrogance getting away and they don't recognize that they have biases against certain things. Uh, like when I talk to students about stereotypes, when we're dealing with HR issues, um, you don't realize you even have the biases sometimes. So I think you need to, in order to take care of those biases, you have to be open-minded and listen to other individuals and allow them, allow them as a leader to remind you that that may be a bias or to tell you, and you have to accept that. Um, we all have biases. We, we all have biases we don't even know we have. And they come out in our, in our behavior and our actions. And so we got to be aware of that. Um, someone that thinks that they do not have any biases, again, probably wouldn't do well in such a situation. So again, I think that you start there and then you got to be uh, willing to accept criticism from others that uh, may point out those biases. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's working on yourself. You're, you're developing yourself all the time. You're, you're constantly uh, renewing who you are and you have to, you have to, you got to work on you all the time to be a good leader, I think. And again, that might sound cheesy, but you know, every day I got to be saying, Oh man, I'm weak in this area. Boy, I got to really work on that. And I got to recognize that I'm not perfect as we talked earlier and I do make mistakes and I learned from those mistakes. And you know what? I think that one of the worst thing, and this comes into the biases. I think one of the worst thing leaders can do is surround themselves with yes, men or women. I'm sorry. I don't want to sound sexist. Uh, yes, people is what I should have said. I don't, I don't think we should ever surround ourselves with yes people. We got to surround ourselves with people that challenge us. And if you ever read anything on Lincoln, that's what Lincoln did. He, he wanted people to challenge his, his leadership. Now, he, he didn't always agree with them, but uh, that's the people he wanted around him. Yeah, I like, this is such a good question, Angelo. And it's, uh, it, it's, it raises the importance of one, again, really being reflective and aware of you know, things that you're observing, watching and saying and doing yourself. But also, as Dennis said, too, the importance of having a team around you that is going to call you out, uh, you know, whenever, again, you, you may be, you know, being a little bit biased or you're allowing some preconceived notion uh, to kind of maybe skew what's actually taking place. And it's, it's hard to do, right? I mean, it's something that you work on continuously throughout the course of your career. Um, because again, it's, it's human nature to allow our experiences or our thoughts or ideas of what we're seeing to creep in even unknowingly into our actions, right? You know, it's that proverbial example that, you know, four different people can watch an accident or an event and walk away with four different descriptions, right? Unknowingly, right? And, you know, I, I certainly have made mistakes in my own career, you know, in formal and informal leadership roles. Where again, like I've allowed myself to 
buy into the stereotype. All right, I'm believing what I'm seeing, but it's not the real thing that's taking place. So whatever mechanisms that you can develop that enable you to almost stop and detach and really take a hard look at what's happening in the environment and what you see may be true, right? But again, it's the fact that you stopped and you took the time to confirm that that's the case is the key, right? Or to have the people around you to say, whoa, slow down a second here. You know, maybe you should take a second look. Uh, it's incredibly important. Um, how do you do it? Me? Yeah, you. <laughs> how do I remove my bias from situations? Yeah. I kind of touched on this earlier, and I, I'm somebody that loves to ask questions. Mm -hmm. I think if you ask a question, you'll get, and we've been talking about this, you'll get an answer, right? And I think mm -hmm. getting an answer from somebody who's not the voice inside your head right there provides a little bit more diversity than what you had originally. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I ask questions and I'm also somebody, sometimes the way that I lead is the way that I feel that I like to be led. And I like to be led by being empowered. I like to be led by somebody who I look, look up to saying, Hey, Angelo, you know what? I trust you enough to take this on. I mean, I don't want to disappoint people and, and I want to do a really, really good job. And when I feel somebody believes in me, I'm going to do 110% to prove to them they were right in, in doing that and in, in trusting mm -hmm. me. So to, to remove my bias, I, I just, I would empower other people and hear their voice and, and let them give their perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, your mechanisms don't have to be complex. And as you said, it's even though leadership or the environment or the situation is complex, right? Your mechanism by which you do this, asking questions is really simple, right? Dennis, earlier you, you, gave, um, you gave an example uh, talking about uh, like going to the doctor, right? And kind of prolonging inevitable things or even exacerbating a situation that exists today that could be a middle level concern and it becoming a severe risk, right? I actually thought, I think that that was a great way to kind of uh, tie some of this together because it is, you know, analogous, I think a lot of the time. Uh, and to kind of bring this into a more uh, work perspective, right? I mean, leaders, one would hope and assume that leaders are action oriented, right? That's probably why they're in that position. That's why they're asking the right questions. And that's why they're getting the answers and doing something with it. But you have to do, you know, you have to be, you have to have a sense of urgency. You have to have quick action and be action oriented and a leader will be but how do you get your team to be action oriented it's one thing for a leader somebody who is expected to be but it's not always expected for those who you are leading to be so like imagine and this is playing off of your example dennis a little bit but mm -hmm. imagine the difference between taking two weeks to act and one week to act when you only have 12 weeks to live the team acting in a week can try 12 things in the time it takes the other team to try six that's a lot more swings of the bat. And, and again, you know, talking about the health perspective, I mean, if you're going about your health, that gives you more of a chance to, to overcome this, to try different things, to get back on your feet in uh, an, a team presence and a leader presence that gives you and your team to build that trust and to overcome obstacles. How do you get your team to be more well, action oriented? Well, I'll go back to that example of a doctor. First of all, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, defining the urgency. Um, as I was getting sicker, the pain became more, uh, how do we, I got more pain. <laughs> I don't know any other way to put it. So I just, if I begin to describe the pain uh, to the doctor, I realize 
wow, or that doctor realizes, wow, there's urgency here. We've got to act on it. We got to act on it now. So I think I would equate that the same way with my team. I got to bring the urgency to them and I got to describe what the pain is and what happens and how that pain is going to impact the, uh, the um, business or, or organization or my team. How's that pain going to, uh, you know, and I'm, I'll quit using the word pain, but how is this situation going to hurt my, my team, my organization and so forth? So I guess I got to convince them of the urgency to move forward. I got to give them a reason to move forward faster or to uh, do something uh, quicker or provide better solutions or to, to grasp onto the urgency and become more creative, whatever the situation may be. So it's like with the doctor, Hey, there's urgency here. So I think you really got to operate like now, you know, not two weeks from now, but now, because uh, if you wait two weeks, I'll probably won't be here. So I, I guess that's kind of how I would uh, approach it. Let me, let me just play with you a little bit more on this uh, analogy here, right? So you got a doctor telling you something's wrong, and that's going to create that sense of urgency in you, right? But that doctor is telling you something that they probably don't want to tell you either, right? Like they're telling you some bad news, right? So, I mean, how do you go, how do you go about and, and share that news? Here's what I'm, I guess what I'm getting to. How do you give somebody bad news and still create an action-oriented response? Well, it, it might be bad news, but... The good news is if you take care of it, you, you're going to get healed. You're going to be better. So even though they're all bad news, uh, the end result is to have, uh, uh, to have a resolve to the situation. So, um, but again, remember this. And again, I'm using the analogy of health. After the surgery, I'm not 100% yet. It still takes time. I still got to work at it. I got to go through therapy. I got to rest. I got to do everything that I'm told to do to come to that resolve. Just the same with a team. Once we come to uh, identify uh, what is going to bring us to that resolve, we got to go through that process. We got to go through that process step by step by step, and we got to stick to it. So again, you know, it's not just a boom, recognize it it's the process too. So let me give it a try. Dennis, all right, I'm going to be your doctor for a second. All right. Okay. You have to have your gallbladder out, right? You're hurting, but I'll tell you what, Angela and Patrick, they need you on the podcast, man, right? Your family needs you. You have a lot of courses to teach. Your students need you. So here's what we're going to do. We need to fix this problem now. All right. We're going to go through a couple of weeks of downturn. All right. We're going to get your diet back in order. We're going to get you up and moving. And we're going to return you to either where you were at before, right? But we're going to fix you and maybe improve your life in terms of your longevity. All right. So, but we need to go on this journey over the next couple of weeks to get yourself fixed. But here's our opportunity, right? This is where we want to go because those guys need you on the show. Because yeah. Patrick talking for the next hour by himself, it doesn't sell very well. <laughs> All yeah, right. I agree with that. So, oh, so no, I no, think... No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with it too. So that's why we're all here. But it's, it's that idea where, listen, we're going to confront reality with a really con courageous conversation. But again, we're going to set that vision. All right. I need you here. Part of this team, your family needs you. All right. The world needs you. All right. On the other side of this, you're going to be a better person. All right? But we got to figure out how to navigate this period of time that might be a little bit rough. All right. 
So that's how I think. And I think you bring up a great point. I want to add to that is that when prior to um, being or prior to uh, what am I trying to say prior to the plan, that person's sick, that group is sick. So it isn't performing a hundred percent prior to that. So it is going to be better on the other end. You're probably going to be at a hundred percent. You're probably going to be, you know, performing better and so forth. And so is your team because you know, how, what's the old saying? The, the team is as strong as it's le- weakest link. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Uh, that was a great way to put it, Patrick, instead of my bumbling around with it. No, so. no, it was good. It was good. And, yeah. it, and I think what it typifies is it, it's hard to do. <laughs> Right. And, and again, it's, uh, but I think as you, know, you were talking about earlier, Angelo and Dennis, it's, you need to have a very clear purpose or vision on the other side, but then you also have to be pragmatic and say, okay, we need to accomplish a couple things before we get there. All right. Yeah. It's not going to be pretty or easy and we're not going to like it, but again, here's why we have to do it. Right. So I, I would hope that that therefore then equates to some action. And if it doesn't, I don't know. Well, that's another problem. <laughs> then, you might not, then you might not have the right team together. Perhaps. Yeah. So, gentlemen, you know, we, we're diving deep into these conversations of trust and being a leader and specifically in uncertain times and having the difficult conversation and taking action and finding uh, ways to motivate your team uh, to take action as well. And as we're winding down here, uh, in this particular episode, uh, really, what I want to know, th- there's not always going to be a nice answer or a nice response that is nice for everybody on the team. I would have to assume, uh, if there's true diversity on a team, that most action and most response is not going to tickle the fancy of everybody aboard, right? Um, but even if it's a global kind of blanket bad news thing, and there's a million things of bad news that could exist. As a leader, what do you have to do if you don't either have the answer or what if the answer is going to be wildly unpopular and even risk unraveling the team? Well, I think Patrick's waiting for me to answer first. Um, Oh, I'm ready I would to have go. to say, oh, he's ready to go. Um, <laughs> I'm just waiting for you. It's that active listening thing. <laughs> yeah, I'll give that. Sim- I'll give the simple answer, and then and Patrick can give you the right answer because I'm not sure I have an answer. No, no I'm kidding. Um, I, I would have to say, first of all, if you don't have an answer, this is a, I can. I think it's a two part question. Uh, if you don't have an answer, you tell them you don't have an answer. It's that simple. It's like when uh, I'm a, I'm teaching a course and someone says. Hey, uh, what's this? So-and-so is two plus two, four. And I'll be like, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. You know? Uh, but here's my answer to that. I'll find out. Um, I had a, when I was running a school, I had a uh, teacher once who BS every answer he could. We found out he wasn't a very good teacher, but you know what? Students see through that. Employees will see through that. They'll know that you're giving them a BS answer. And so it, it makes you, it goes back to that human element again, Angelo, where I'm human. I don't always have the answers, but you know what? We'll work together and find an answer or we'll, we'll get an answer together 
or whatever. Now, the second part of that, an unpopular answer. Oh boy, that's a hard one to answer. I would have to say that, you know, if I can have an unpopular answer, I got to prove why I think that answer is the correct one. I got to show data. I got to provide them with a reason why I think this is the best answer and allow them to challenge me on why they think it's unpopular and they need to give me reasons why they think it's unpopular. So that's how I would handle that. Yeah, I had actually, I agree. See? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Episode's over guys. Great job. We did a great job. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, in all seriousness, like you said, if it, when you have a, a difficult thing, as you said, I mean, again, that is what I believe. And of course it would be open up. I would open that up the opportunity to talk about, you know, my perspective on where we need to go. Um, but again, the only thing I'm going to add to this is, you know, as Angelo, you said, again, I want my teams to be diverse. All right. I don't want a bunch of individuals who are going to agree lock and step with everything that I say or do. All right. Which therefore, again, if we have disagreement amongst the team, my thing is, again, the intent and the vision of purpose of what we are doing, our day-to-day -day mission, right? If we're bought into that, then guess what? Even if people disagree with the day-to-day -day decisions that we may make, they're still, gonna, they're, they're still going to operate and not necessarily detract from our momentum towards our objective, right? They may grumble, but we all grumble, right? Because we all don't always get our way, right? But they'll fall in line. If that continues and there's a severe disalignment between that individual and our vision, then the conversation probably is, well, let's talk about why you're here, right? Because if we're to that point of the conversation and you're disrupting that much, then there's a larger issue that there's a reason why you're not buying in. But I'm curious to your guys' perspective on, in this situation, right, bringing to a group of people, a team of people, unpopular news or a bad answer or something that could affect the team holistically. What are your thoughts on finding an early adopter on the team and getting them to be kind of somebody to move the initiative or what action forward alongside you? 100%. Yeah. Hundred percent. Because if you look at change in teams or just movement in teams, all right, change or isn't necessarily always good from the top, all right. And to change a culture or get people to kind of work together as a team, if you build a mass at that tactical level, right, the day-to-day -day operational level in an organization through early adopters, that's how you make things happen. All right. So I would probably even go out and say, okay, I know I got to deliver this message, but I'm going to go to a colleague that I trust that I know may, may be in the mainstream, we'll just use the word mainstream, so to speak, who, who's gonna back the decision, even if it's bad, right? And I'll probably have conversations with them and say, hey, this is, what, this is the outcome, right? Um, you know, tell me your thoughts, what are your perspectives as it relates to your, your beliefs? And hey, you know what? We're gonna have this conversation tomorrow, but I may lean on you a little bit to kind of lead the way informally, right? So. I think, it's a, I think it's a really good idea to leverage those individuals in your organizations and why it's so important to have that team around you outside of the traditional organizational structure to go to and say, okay, we're going to have a really tough conversation. All right, give me your perspective. What are your thoughts? All right, knowing that once that conversation has, had, has been had, 
then I'm going to turn back to you guys and say, okay, you need to help us move forward. Yeah, I think uh, Patrick's 100% right. Um, I would just add this and it kind of ties in with what Angelo said is that, that uh, the important thing is that we find advocates of our, you know, of what we're doing and uh, as leaders. And the key, I guess one of the things you got to be careful of that leaders are always meeting. Now, this is going to sound stupid, but I think Angelo brought, he used the word and it's a key word in leadership is empowerment. Uh And I think Patrick, that's what he's saying. You know, I need to empower somebody else that is an advocate who could bring a different voice. They're used to hearing my voice. And when they get to hear other voices, there's a tendency for them to be more inclined to listen, that listening, being an active listener, as Patrick said, because sometimes, you know, if it's the same, if it's that leader, the same person always, we got to shift leadership sometimes when we're in teams and that's that Mm -hmm. empowerment thing. So you shift that leadership to somebody can bring it home Uh, because maybe you're not the person, even though you're the leader, the leader, uh, you may not be the person to bring it home. You're not the person to make it happen, but maybe somebody else can make it happen with less, uh, less, negative impact on the team with let or with more um i don't know passion or whatever the case may be um again that word empowerment's important so i think both of you that you both tied into that to where um you need to get other people include other people case in point angelo is uh the keys to the show today yeah man and, and, and speaking to that, um, you know, I actually want to ask you guys one more question um, with my um, access here in the steering wheel. And I, I know that... Um, Quickly, where are the keys, Dennis? <laughs> <laughs> feels like I'm driving a Corvette right now, and I'm liking the, I'm liking the speed. Uh, <laughs> my hair stand up, man. I'm going to tell you the air. But. <laughs> me too, me too. Um, but, you know, we, I feel like we've talked about a lot of, like, larger concepts, right, throughout this. You know, how to, how to build trust, how to um, get a team to be action-oriented. But I actually want to ask you both the same question. I want you both to just respond in your own way, specifically to you. What kind of leader do you want to be in 2021? Hmm. You want to rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first? <laughs> I want to be, and I'm looking for the word. And I, I guess I want to be a, 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 and I'm looking, again, I can't find the word. I think I need to be multiple types of leader. And I don't know if that makes, and I'm looking for a better word. And just with that question, just like off top of my head, I, I want to be, a flexible leader because I, one thing I never know what I'm going to get myself into, or I should reword that. I never know what Patrick's going to get me into. So I, I want to be prepared uh, to, to be, I don't know, flexible and, and be able to fit multiple uh multiple types of leadership, I guess. Um, I guess I just want to be the leader I'm needed to be. 
I, and maybe that's a simple answer. I just want to be the leader I'm needed to be in whatever situation I'm faced with. There, there's my answer. Patrick, what kind of leader do you want to be in 2021? <laughs> yeah, he had more time to think about this. <laughs> I did, as I'm still struggling. Um, I like Dennis. Yeah, I like what you said, Dennis. And I love this question because it's, it's difficult. Uh, but I'm going to go with, uh, I want to be a, a more dynamic leader. Uh, I, I think right now I need to be more innovative and more pers persuasive around the opportunities that we have in front of us to try more things such as organizational structures, right? Typical leadership roles need to change. Um, I need to be more supportive of employees who maybe I haven't given enough attention to uh, because they <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> throwing that right in my face there, Dennis. <laughs> um, fine. I'll get your car to the car wash this afternoon as promised. Um, yeah. So I think dynamic and that, that would require me to, to pay more attention to different facets of my role as either formally or informally as a leader, I think. Did I, did I sidestep that or, or is that acceptable? <laughs> Any answer would be acceptable because, uh, sure. you know, I look at you both as leaders um, in, in the areas, not just with this podcast, but in the other things that you guys do. And I think that any response you would give would, would give at least me something to chew on here for a little bit and, and to try to emulate myself uh, to be a stronger leader in 2021. Hmm. Well, thank you, number one. I mean, that's certainly, I mean, it's humbling anytime. Like you said, uh, to yeah. hear that we're, we're looked upon as, as doing a decent job of leadership because it's honestly, God, and I tell people all the time and I write it a lot, it's complex, right? And as you said, it's, it's not always easy. It is rewarding. It's enjoyable. I love every moment of it, but sometimes it is hard, right? I mean, that's the reality. Uh, so to hear that, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah. I say the same. Uh, I, I do. I appreciate. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I, I really love having you uh, part of the show today. Um, I, I like you having more of a voice because uh, you, you, uh, you really bring a lot to the show, whether you believe it or not. Um, even when you're behind the scenes and when we're thinking and when you're sending emails to help us uh, be more creative and so forth, you're, you're one of the main drivers of that. Um, I'm just a pretty face. That's all. I was with you there until the very end, Dennis. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but to, to speak, you know, to speak to something I said earlier, you know, I know how I function or at least how I prefer to function. And you guys have noticed that I feel in me, which is a great sign of a leader. You've given me the opportunity mm -hmm. to, to, to shine, to take control uh, Dennis, you and I only met through this. Patrick, you and I met in other realms and this all just came together. I think having a little bit of blind trust in people, giving people the opportunity to, to do what they can do, even if that is to fail, because was, as we talked to bring this full circle again, most leaders have failed and, and, and those that are the best have learned from it. And then also teach on those failures to others so that they can learn from it as well. So, uh, you know, guys, what I'm going to do right now before, you know, I feel like we're starting to get a little emotional here. Like we're thanking me now. What the heck is this about? I'm, here's the figuratively figurative keys. I'm handing them back to you guys um, to, to wind down this episode. I, I am glad though, to have been able to um, 
use the voice a little bit more here today, guys. So I do appreciate it. Uh, hey, it's our pleasure. And like I said, it uh, goes back to faith, right? I mean, we have a clear vision between the three of us and we, we, we set out on the journey. So, and I'm going to have faith and hope that Dennis is going to be able to uh, close the show for us today. Oh, uh, man. Talk about uh, throwing some voice out. So, Dennis, you got the honors, my man. Hey, man. I tell you what, I, I don't know much to say. You're the, you're the one that's uh, good at opening and closing the show. But again, I want to thank all of our listeners. And uh, I tell you what, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. We have noticed a lot of uh, an increase in our the volume of listeners that we have. And uh, that's, uh, again, humbling to us. And we're so thankful. Uh, we give thanks to Angelo and all the people behind the scenes that make this work. Um, again, I thank Patrick, him and I, we, again, started this, but hey, we want to make it, uh, we want to get a lot of people involved. We, we enjoy what we do. Um, we look forward to some of the guests we uh, have uh, scheduled for the future. Um, but again, we couldn't do this without our listeners and we thank them. And uh, again, uh, anything, uh, don't hesitate to send us emails uh, with any questions you may have. Again, uh, you can uh, also go to our website, which is purposefulleadership.org purposeful and uh, check it out. And also, um, you know, I'd like to thank uh, Point Park and all the individuals in IUP and so forth who back us and promote us. Um, we couldn't do it without them. So, you know what? I want to thank everybody. Again, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Angelo. And we want to wish all you listeners a uh, stay healthy, stay cool, and we'll see you next time. All right. See everybody. <laughs>